following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by CDW, Miller Lite, and Comcast. Hi, everyone. The interviewing process is underway up at Hallis Hall. First candidate to get a sit-down with Bears General Manager Ryan Pace was defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. A lot to discuss in regards to the Bears' future. Zach Zaidman joined by 85 Bear Tom Thayer and former Bears quarterback Jim Miller for the entire hour here on Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy. You can join us as well. All your questions are welcome at 312-644-6767. So you can ask us about everything that, that's transpiring up at Hallis Hall and where you think the Bears are going to go. But also, Brian Erlacher is one of the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I think it'll be fun at different points during the program to get your greatest signature Brian Erlacher moment. I'll share mine. Tom will share his. Jim will share his a little bit later on in the show. But uh, let's get to uh, the business at hand, guys. And, Tom, I'll start with you. Vic Fangio, we know what he was able to do turning around the Bears' defense, and it is a much better defense than the one he inherited three years ago. When you're Ryan Pace and you're sitting down with Vic Fangio, what more do you need to know? You know how familiar he is with developing an offense because everybody knows Vic Fangio has the qualities to take and develop players, develop defenses, develop schemes, and then really get great results out of all of them. From his USFL days when he went to the championship game to his days in New Orleans, San Francisco, and in his whole path throughout the NFL, Vic has all the qualities to stand up at the podium and answer any media questions. But the reality of it is, is what are you going to do for Mitchell Trubisky? You're going to hire a head coach, but if you don't think that this whole process is about developing quarterback into a a division competitor, a pl- you know, get yourself into the playoffs and possibly fight for a Super Bowl. That's going to be the key to success here. It's not going to be Vic holding opponents to three points and then you know have no development of the offense. It is about the development of Mitchell Trubisky. Really interested in hearing what Jim has to say because Jim warned us during the entire offseason in training camp in, retur- in, in regards to don't rush the young quarterback. Let him get seasoned. Let him develop. And four games in, it was Mitchell Trubisky's show. So, Jim, what did you learn about Trubisky that you didn't know until you you watched him in games? And now that you've seen him and watched the way he operates, what do you want to see the Bears surrounding him with in order to reach his maximum potential? Yeah, like like everybody else, I, I'm I'm very impressed with Mitchell. I thought every time he stepped on the field, he got better. You could see him settling in. Uh, you could see that you know the athleticism, the arm, all the things we talk about. He has the ability to improvise, make big plays. We've seen that with some of his his scrambles. But what impressed me the most about him, he's a quick learner. You know, I think uh, he's a quick study. When he's shown something and he sees it again, I think he, he's he's not a guy who makes the same mistake uh, twice. And he, he got a lot thrown at him, a lot of different blitzes that he's going to have to learn from. And I was encouraged what he said in his post-season uh, press conference 
or after the last game, I should say, against Minnesota. He's like, yeah, I'm going to dive into it right away. I'm going to look at every single play, uh, red zone, every every single aspect that I need to do uh, to get better. So I am he is one over from that standpoint. He is going to put the work in uh, to get out what he wants his career to be in the National Football League, which is take the Bears hopefully to a, uh, to a world championship. So I'm extremely encouraged about that. But – when you look at what uh, Tom just discussed there, and I totally agree with him. You know, if Vic Fangio's in there interviewing, or say Steve Wilkes, who's another candidate, a defensive guy that the Bears are supposedly are going to look at, I think when they come to the table or in the interview process, they've got to have you know somewhat of a Moby Dick, their white whale that they're going to present. Say, hey, I can bring this offensive coordinator to the table if I get the job. And I think that's, you know, it's going to be interesting how that unfolds because I do think and agree with Tom, that's what it's about. It's about the growth of this young quarterback. You need a, uh, an experienced play caller around him that I think has brought other quarterbacks along in the National Football League. And certainly candidates have emerged as well in terms of Pat Shermer and John Filippo and other candidates that are out there that are potentially could be the Bears' uh, next head coach. But Vic Fangio certainly has a big Rolodex as well, and maybe he can bring and enlighten the Bears that, hey, I, I can bring this guy to the table that can bring along this young quarterback. Hey, Jim, in your reluctancy to play a young quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky because of the difficulty of learning the position, do you remember a time during the season that you became disenchanted with Mike Lennon and you think the future of the Bears is not with Mike Lennon, that it's going to happen with Mitchell Trubisky? Was there ever a process that kind of clicked in your head saying, okay, even though I'm reluctant to play a young guy, I think it's about time we put him in the lineup and start cultivating the talent of Trubisky. Yeah, I still think even when they put Mitchell in, I didn't think he was ready. You know, I know Jeff Fisher took a lot of heat last year for not putting in Jared Goff until, well, whatever it was, midseason, and he took a lot of heat for it, but it was the reason why was he's not ready. I, I don't think the Bears' record would be any different today if Mike Lennon started the whole season. I really don't. I don't think it would be any different than the 5-11 and record uh, that they have currently. Um, so I thought he was thrust in there a little bit too early. Uh, certainly pressure was mounting. Uh, I think we all understand why. And Mitchell had the ability for legs to get uh, to make plays and get out of harm's way against certain blitzes. But, you know, I, I personally you know would have liked him to mature a little bit more. I don't think he was ready when the Bears thrust him in there. And it showed in his early games. Tom Thayer is here. So is Jim Miller. I'm Zach Zedman. Bears All Access rolls on. Please join us at 312-644-6767. So one of the big comparisons that we keep hearing is that the Bears are looking to do in 2018 what the Rams did in 2017. And they had a quarterback a year ago at this time in Jared Goff where you weren't quite sure if he was a guy capable of carrying a team into the playoffs and leading a team efficiently. But they went out during the offseason, brought in an offensive-minded head coach, one of the, the young whippersnappers in the NFL and Sean McVay. They added uh, a very good defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips. They brought in three new receivers, two new offensive linemen, and the Rams look like a completely different team now than they did a year ago at this time. Is that realistic? Well, you know, they had an abundance of talent on the defensive side of the ball. So say if the Bears were in the same scenario where they had a guy like Aaron Donald, they had Quinn, they had um, the Ogletree, the, the middle linebacker, and, and the other 
parts in the defense they had. If they had a defense that if you got an immediate compliment, your offense is even going to make the defense better. I still think um, there's even a couple question marks out there. Defensively speaking, on behalf of the Bears, what's going to happen with Leonard Floyd? Can Jonathan Bullard develop into the guy that we've seen hints of his ability? You know, what's going to happen with the linebacker position with Trevathan and, and Kwiatkowski and the, the rest of that crew? So I, I do think that um, before this whole process started for the Rams, they probably had a little bit more um, talent, especially up front for those guys. And the other question I have, Jim, is when you look at Mitchell Trubisky overall, everything hinges on what a coaching candidate thinks of him as a quarterback. And also in regards to the offseason and free agency, which comes before the draft, what do you think people around the league think about Mitchell Trubisky? Because obviously he's very highly thought of here in Chicago, and there was uh, growing praise throughout the season for what Trubisky was able to accomplish. But that's here. Does the rest of the league feel the same way? Yeah, I, th- I think the rest of the league feels he's going to be a good young quarterback. That at least right now he's just a, a prospect, and I, I think you, you got to get things around him. Here you just you bring up the Rams. You know they they trade for a guy like like Sammy uh, Watkins. You know you you need to put some players uh, around Mitchell Trubisky for him to have success. And I go back say even mid season when we were talking uh, again. This has been a kind of a recurring theme. The Bears think about it. Couldn't even present three wide receiver personnel. So 11 personnel was non-existent. So they were somewhat uh, handcuffed uh, with what they had personnel-wise offensively. And, and that is, is hard on a young quarterback as well. So the receiving position has definitely got to be upgraded. I think everybody is, is well aware of that, much like how the Rams went out and, and got a good uh, offensive line. And Andrew Whitworth, who's probably going to be an all-pro uh, this year at left tackle, but that got the receivers around him and then added, obviously, a, a very creative play caller in, in Sean McVay. But I think you know, word on the street, at least around the National Football League, is they like what they've seen of Mitchell Trubisky. And they know and believe that he's probably going to be a force to, to be reckoned with uh, here in his NFL career. We've heard the term surrounding Trubisky with an infrastructure to succeed. What does that mean when we look at some of the potential offensive-minded head coaching candidates that are out there? I want to get into their philosophies. You guys know uh, some of these names better than most, and we'll hit each one and kind of see what they're about from an offensive standpoint and if that meshes with what Mitchell Trubisky is all about. That's next with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Tom Thayer is here, so is Jim Miller. I'm Zach Zaidman, and you can join us at 312-644-6767. We'll break down some of the names that we keep hearing in terms of possible offensive-minded head coaching candidates in just a bit. But first, though, I want to go out to the phones. Daniel is in Highland Park. Good evening, Daniel. You're on Bears All Access. Uh, thanks for having me. The, I like Trubisky, and especially his arm and how he can get around the field and even run. But I worry about his accuracy. He seems to overthrow too many times for my taste. Is that just because he's young? Wentz does it better, but that's another year. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just getting in the timing and timing and rhythm of the the pass routes. We know the receivers changed quite a bit uh, for the Chicago Bears, so there had there probably wasn't a lot of confidence in, in how guys were going to run certain routes. He's new to the offense, um, so normally your first year as a quarterback, you're you're kind of just 
getting a feel for what you're doing on offense. And then year two, you're diving into more defenses and understanding blitzes more. And I just think a lot of it was that, you know, for him to get his timing and rhythm down. You know, getting on balance when you throw is the most important thing. In terms of Mitchell Trubisky, when he came out of North Carolina, we know he only had two snaps under center. And he probably, you know, he did the, I remember when we showed up for training camp, what he fumbled uh, his first three snaps out of four, I think from underneath center. And when you get that three step, five step, seven step timing, I think it'll become more natural to him. It'll become more rope memory where he's in balance uh, when he throws to be a more accurate passer. He's under probably what he, what he's going to be. I think I predict him. He'll probably be in the 65, 66% range when it's all said and done. He's got the, the feet to do it. And that's something he can work on this whole off season from, from, from his standpoint, he will improve greatly from that standpoint. I think it's going to be interesting to watch Mitchell Trubisky's development throughout the offseason because when you go back to the first play of OTAs and the first offensive snap is taken by Glenn and the second one by Sanchez and the third one by Mitchell Trubisky, it's always just a catch-up, trying to understand the terminology, trying to learn the offense. You can't anticipate or throw accurately because you're thinking the whole time even though you're taking snaps. So I think when they do get the head coach in place and they get the offensive coordinator on board and then Mitchell Trubisky starts investing himself in the terminology months before he ever has to put it in in action at OTAs and then continue through training camp, I I do think we'll see – it will have a better judgment of Mitchell Trubisky's accuracy. The better he understands the offense, the terminology, the timing, and everything. So I'm I'm confident in everything I've seen out of Trubisky. Now let's let's hope as Bears fans – for the next three, four, five, six years, he's got the opportunity to stay in the same system. So it's a continued development of his talents to make sure that he and the offense get better. If you got to change him year in and year out, it's a setback to any quarterback who's ever tried that throughout his career. And one well, of the ways to avoid that, Jim, would be yeah. to to make sure that you assure that the head coach is an offensive-minded guy. So even if you lose, say, a quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator going forward, you have an See, off- I, don't, I don't agree with that 100% okay. because I think if you go out there and you, you know, Mike Ditka was a special teams coordinator. John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator, and they've been able to hire offensive coordinators throughout their time. It's just I'm just throwing a hypothetical a name out there like Dave Tobe. If he came out there, Dave's been around a lot of really talented football coaches in his NFL career. He knows a quality offensive mind, and and that's going to be the key, whom, whomever teaches Mitchell. See, but Jim, the thing yeah. that would worry me is, okay, so say Dave Tobe, just hypothetically throwing it out there, was the next head coach of the Bears, brings in a really bright offensive coordinator. If that guy is as good as advertised and the Bears go up a notch from an offensive standpoint, well, the next time there are all these head coaches that are, are being interviewed – over the next cycle, that offensive coordinator is going to jump to the top of the list around the league, and you might lose again. Depending how old he is. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, that uh, could be the case. But here's what I I do like about Dave Tobe, and I think Tom brings up a good point. I mean, think of a guy, special teams coach like John Harbaugh, right? He's rolled through a lot of coordinators, right? He lost... uh, you know, Jim Caldwell obviously was there when they went to the Super Bowl. He becomes the head coach of the uh, the Lions and then obviously loses uh, uh, the coach to Denver who's had to step away from the game. And, and that can be a problem. I understand that. But special teams coaches come with uh, – they know the whole roster. You know, you think about special teams coaches. When they go in there and final cuts and – 
you know, they're talking about, hey, we're thinking about releasing this linebacker, and, you know, Dave Tobe can bring the perspective. Eh, I, I don't know if we should do that because uh, he can talk about the pe- uh, special teams uh, perspective of, say, an offensive lineman to a linebacker to a receiver as a gunner. He he knows kind of everything uh, about the roster, so they are intriguing. But I, I hear where you're coming from. But, you know, if you, if you hire, uh, say, an offensive guy, say like a Pat Shermer of Minnesota, a lot of times those coaches, when they settle in as, as the head coach, they still want to remain uh, the play caller, and you wouldn't have to worry about, about him leaving. I understand uh, that standpoint, but there are other situations where guys have been stripped of their duties. How about Jerry Jones? I mean, Jason Garrett was a hell of a play caller, and Jerry Jones stripped him of those duties, and they hired Scott Linehan. Uh, to to take over those responsibilities, so it's a it's a catch twenty two. I think if you're a quality coach, you're always going to be able to to bring in quality coaches. Well, uh, you know, as long as they, you've got a plan in terms of it's a, if it's a defensive coordinator and they've got a, a bright mind offensively and are always developing coaches underneath them, like what Bill Belichick uh, uh, does with his coaches. Because when he lost Charlie Weiss, there was uh, a McDaniel's or or a guy like Bill O'Brien. He was always cultivating those young quarterback or co- coaches to hire from within. And I would think that would be a plan for uh, the Bears, any head coach that they hire here in the near future. We'll break down some of those names in just a bit. First, though, back to the phones at 312-644-6767. Eric is in St. Charles. Eric, you are on Bears All Access. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, the question I have for you is if Vic Fangio doesn't take the head coaching job and he ends up moving on to another team, if the Bears are forced to uh, come up with a new defensive coordinator, do they stick with a 3-4 scheme or try to go back to a 4-3? It took them a while to make that transition. You know, the, you know, Eric, there's a guy, Ed Donatel, who's the defensive backs coach for the Chicago Bears right now, and he's got a complete 100% understanding of Vic Fangio's system. So if you want to transfer... This, you want to keep the same system, but transfer the coach from the defensive backfield, the defensive coordinator. He has that experience before in his background. He's a super well-respected coach all around the league. So you're not necessarily getting rid of Vic Fangio's system if you do bring a, a guy like Ed Donatel into that spot. But I do think you're going to have to evaluate the head coach and look at what system has he been raised on in his time in the NFL. And you know, even if we sit here and we talk about one style of defense, because of the personnel on the offense, you're morphing so much to the different fronts you're going to put out there that, yeah, we talk about four defensive linemen, we talk about three defensive linemen. Now there's defenses that have two defensive linemen, one defensive lineman, no defensive linemen. So I think it's all about the ability of the defensive coordinator to scheme against the personnel that he's going to play against with his own personnel. So um, we've all grown to like and admire uh, Vic Fangio. So if you're set on that system, there's a guy, Ed Donatel, who can uh, probably come up and do one heck of a job. Got to take a quick time out. When we come back, I want to talk about some of these offensive names that are being thrown out there. McDaniels and more next with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. Coming up a little bit later on here on Bears All Access, we'll break down our Brian Erlacher signature moments. And we'd like to hear from you about what you thought was Brian Erlacher's signature moment as a Bear. He's one of the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hi, everyone. It's Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, alongside 85 Bear Tom Thayer and former Bears quarterback Jim Miller. I'm Zach Saban. Travel to Punta Cana, Dominican Republic in February with Apple Vacations and your favorite Bears, including Anthony Adams, Akeem Hicks, Adrian Amos, and Charles Leno Jr. Visit applevacations.com slash bears for more information. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. 
obviously the number one topic of conversation is who is the next head coach of the Bears going to be? And a lot of offensive-minded names are being thrown around and linked to the Bears. So let's start with, I guess, the most popular name that you hear, not just with the Bears, but uh, around the league, and that would be Tom Brady's offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels of the New England Patriots, who had a go-around with... Denver as a head coach it was not successful but he has enjoyed great success since returning to New England as the offensive coordinator Jim I'll start with you when you think of Josh McDaniels offensive philosophy and knowing what you know about Mitchell Trubisky tell me how that meshes uh well here's what I think I, I think Josh one it's Josh was in New England when I was there he was uh basically the quarterback coach and Charlie Weiss was the offensive coordinator but Josh is a bright mind he would bring an offense that is game plan specific. What do I mean by that? Well, it changes every single week. If matchups dictate that you run uh, two tight ends, he's going to do that. Or if it commands for three wides or maybe one week commands uh, the running game uh, to be featured, Josh is, is very uh, quick to morph into how you can uh, attack a defense. I think he's a bright mind. I think we all know he did a great job of bringing along Jimmy Garoppolo. You see the results of him out in San Francisco. So Josh has a good understanding of what the quarterback position entails and what you can and cannot do uh, as a quarterback and certainly has a great background uh, with Tom Brady, who Tom loves Josh uh, from his standpoint. But if he's a very bright mind. I think he's more ready the, the second time around and can command a room, which was far different, I think, the first time when he got the, the head coaching job for Denver. But Josh, is a, he is going to be a, a successful head coach in the National Football League. You know, Josh McDaniel has been learning from the master for years, and he's gone on to fail on his own and come back to relearn from the master. So all that type of study that you think it's just needed by Mitchell Trubisky, young coaches need that type of teaching also and it comes from Belichick but you know Josh McDaniels brother Ben McDaniels has been working for the Bears for the last couple of years so if you think you get a, a, a head coach candidate that's going to walk into an organization blindly that's not going to be the case because his brother Ben should be able to share any important information that he needs to with Josh to make sure that this is the right opportunity for him and when you think of some of the things like the quarterback position the running back position the growth of the tight end position what it can morph into here with Adam Shaheen, Deion Sims, Daniel Brown, and Ben Broniker and such, and Tariq Cohen and these playmakers, and Jim talking about game plan specific. Boy, just think of what you can do if you're a clever offensive mind with those types of tools, and then start adding on those wide that wide receiver position. Is it going to be Cam Meredith? Is it going to be Kevin White? Is Dontrell Inman still going to be here? So some of those questions need to be answered, but I, I think it's it's interesting that Josh, Mc, uh, John, Josh McDaniels has been around Bill Belichick, but his brother has also been here to give him some Chicago Bear insight. Another name that you hear constantly is the Vikings offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, who has a lot of experience in this league, has been a head coach in the past, and you just look at Minnesota and the different quarterbacks that he's had to work with and all at separate points have been successful, including the guy right now leading them into the playoffs, Case Keenum. Jim, what is Pat Shermer's offensive philosophy, and how does that mesh with Mitchell Trubisky? Well, I, I know Pat well, too. He was my tight ends coach uh, at Michigan State when I was there. He was a great player at Michigan State Center. also. And, yeah, and obviously uh, <laughs> everybody knows about uh, Fritz Shermer and the family ties there, so he, he's a lifer. 
Okay, it, uh, that's what he, what he is. But he's been raised in the West Coast system. Okay, think about Andy Reid and when he was with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And granted, got his opportunity as a head coach for the for the Cleveland Browns. I thought Cleveland was going to start to turn it around. That was the, one of their best rosters. Uh, what he was trying to rebuild. Unfortunately, Haslam and they had other thoughts on that. And then uh, Pat moves on and goes with uh, Chip Kelly. They're back with the Philadelphia Eagles. He said he learned a lot of football there in terms of the college aspect of the spread uh, and the run-pass options and all those things. And, you know, Pat's worked with a lot of quarterbacks. You know, you think about him when probably would have worked out in St. Louis with Sam Bradford, but unfortunately that's when uh, Pat went on to become the uh, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So he's got a great background, a tried-and-true offense in a West Coast system, plus has branched off into the run-pass uh, option system of, of Chip Kelly, and he's great with working with young quarterbacks. We've already seen him work with three uh, there in Minnesota, not only Sam Bradford, what he's, what he's done with Case Keenum, and certainly Teddy Bridgewater with what he was able to do and put in an offense on the fly when North Turner walked away and converted everything. And now they're very good at running the football, which is a staple of Andy Reid's systems, and that's why Minnesota is so good at running the football. And look at how those receivers have emerged uh, for Phil, or for Minnesota as well. Stephon Diggs and Thielen, they're not burners, but, man, they make a lot of plays, and they catch a lot of contested throws. They're the number one and number two uh, tandem in terms of catching contested footballs up there in Minnesota. So, Pat, I think he is a seasoned guy, and he definitely is ready to lead a football team again, and it looks like he'll get that shot. A lot of teams interested in him. Early this morning, I was on with Hanley and David Howe, and we were talking about an article that was in the Sunday Minneapolis newspaper. And a lot of the article, um, it was about Pat Shermer, but a lot of the article was an interview with Sam Bradford, and Sam Bradford's been with him in multiple stops. And he's always talked about Shermer able to what Jim talked about morph game plan specific by taking the tools that he has and not only develop them that but use them efficiently in a game plan and that's what you want to see you don't want to become recognizable you don't want to become predictable you want to be able to change have those subtle differences between the opponents you're going to face and a lot of times it takes the evaluation of the coaches to see where the weakness is against the opponent you're playing and again Sam Bradford continuously brags about Sherman ability to do that in this article so when you think about head coaching candidates and you read about an an article like that right before you're getting ready to play the team you get a chance to pay attention to him and that's one of the things that interests me most you know he's a former offensive lineman he's had a lot of duties as different coaches he's raised been raised around it his whole life like Jim said and so I, I like what I hear from him and I like the glowing remarks I hear about players that he's playing with in Sam Bradford you know you know what is great about him too is because you I'm I'm glad you brought that up about the offensive line and tied it in. From what I understand, when North Turner was let go, their protections were an issue. Uh, North pretty much relied on only two pass protections. Now, that's not the case with Pat Shermer. I mean, he can scheme anything in terms of protection standpoint. And to this day, think about the quarterbacks, and not only here in the postseason, but every quarterback in the NFL. You know who's number one at beating the blitz? Case Keenum. Yep. Case Keenum. I saw the Bears blitz six times this past week. Case Keenum beat it every time. Every single time, that is Pat Shermer scheming it up to get it done. The title of that article that Tom was talking about in the Minnesota paper was called Ode to Offense, and the Bears definitely need offense over the last two years, averaging fewer than 17 points per game. So it's exciting to think of what may happen with a guy who kind of gets 
how to how to use his personnel and and morph different game plans against the the types of defenses that you'll see on a on a weekly basis in Philadelphia. There are really two candidates under Doug Peterson. He's he's the big boss, but under him, you've got an offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach who have worked hand in hand with Carson Wentz. Jim, tell us about both and what they bring. Yeah, well, obviously, everybody understands Frank Reich and, and what he's done, not only as a, a player in the National Football League. And Frank's kind of been involved in a little bit of everything. Obviously, we know the, the K-Gun offense, when you talk about up-tempo, no huddle, certainly would bring a, a variation of that. Spent time in Indianapolis with what uh, uh, Peyton Manning was doing with uh, you know how that offense is structured, which is certainly a lot of check with me's and very versatile uh, at the line of scrimmage. Spent some time out in San Diego coaching Phillip Rivers and now uh, returns as in the in now, I believe for the first time, this is a West Coast system that he's been introduced to. So he comes with a, a huge volume of background of what he can condense to create kind of his own style of offense. I don't know which one he leans to. Probably I would think he, he likes that K-Gun offense, but certainly uh, can call any style of offense uh, that he needs to. John Filippo, uh, to me, when you look at the quarterbacks coach, probably still a little bit too green. Did have an opportunity to call plays for the Cleveland Browns. Did not go so well. Uh, so I, I personally just don't think he's ready. Uh, personally yet. I'd like to see more of a background for him uh, calling plays from that standpoint, but certainly uh, has a great uh, pedigree in, in his background as well, but I just think way too young at this point for John DeFilippo. You think of the combination of that uh, offensive-minded room when you talk about the two assistant coaches in, in Doug Peterson. You know, in my experiences with Doug, we are teammates with the Miami Dolphins, and he really spent a lot of time with Don Shula studying offensive football. And I came from an offense that we are run heavy so we are facing eight man fronts all the time and that's kind of the way you learn football and then you kind of learn how to throw the ball against eight man fronts because they're Walter Payton and Neil Anderson they're trying to stop those guys first but then you go down to Miami and they're playing four and five man fronts because of Dan Marino Don Shula and you know um Steve DeBerg came in there and played with Doug Peterson. So, you know, Doug's his, his ability to learn started a long time ago. His focus on being a coach started years ago, even while he was a player. And, and the way he's paid his dues, he's been able to incorporate what he's learned from the talented coaches and bring it up to this level. And he's another one of those guys who learned from Andy Reid, from yep. that Andy Reid yep. coaching Crino. A lot of guys have been successful coming from that Andy Reid system. So let's go to the guy that replaced Peter. Peterson as the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. He's a young guy, Matt Nagy. What do you know about him, Jim? Well, here's here's what I know. Just so when you talk to to Brad Childress, that they like him. He's obviously you know a guy that's followed Andy Reid uh, again, and he's kind of been you know he started out in Philadelphia as a ball boy. Okay, so he's been with kind of Andy Reid uh, this whole time, and he's he's a guy who's always had a thirst for knowledge, and he was always hanging around uh, the the coaches' meeting rooms. They'd allow him to come in the meeting rooms, and then all of a sudden he started to get into coaching a little bit more. And I think Andy Reid noticed hey, this guy has a, has a knack for it. He's got a thirst for information. He's able to retain uh, the information, and pretty soon Andy Reid was testing him to put together game plans. How would you call play? And then Andy this year felt he was getting a little, a little bit stale, and here. He didn't turn it over to Brad Childress, who's a veteran play caller in the NFL. Hey, we're going to give the kid a sh- uh, shot and Matt Nagy. 
And a lot of people, some same thing. I don't think he's ready quite yet, but he could have a bright future uh, in the National Football League and is very well respected by not only Brad Childress, but uh, Andy Reid by handing him the reins, I think says quite a bit about Matt Nagy. And he's done really well the the past four weeks calling the plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, Jim, Tom, I'm going to ask you this question. Think about it during the break. Can't wait to hear your answers on this. Obviously, you're not conducting the interviews, but if you were, I want to know what you want to hear from a potential coaching candidate about surrounding Mitchell Trubisky with a proper infrastructure for success. What are the buzzwords that you need to hear? Get the latest Bears news, photos, and videos delivered straight to your mobile device. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app presented by Verizon. It's Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy live on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Join us, 312-644-6767. We've been going hardcore in terms of all the, the different candidates that are out there, the potential new head coaches of the Chicago Bears, and uh, Zach Zaidman along with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. And one of the things that I think is important is we hear it, but what does it mean when when you hear people say, well, you got to surround Mitchell Trubisky with all the tools necessary to succeed? So, Tom, if you are a, a GM and you're interviewing a potential head coaching candidate, what are the things you need to hear to make you feel confident that this individual can take advantage and maximize Mitchell Trubisky's skill sets? Well, I, I want to see the. I want to hear the experiences he's lived through. Jim and I have both lived through a lot of different NFL experiences in in both different lives we had. So I need to hear his experiences. I need to hear his offensive philosophy. Is he going to come here and tell me he's going to be seventy percent throwing the ball and thirty percent running the ball? No, that does. That's not the template of success. And then I need to know what is his philosophy in terms of using the personnel groupings and how he can efficiently take the people that you have in place right now as the Bears and incorporate in the in the future of the offense. So I need and I need to know how important the offensive line is to it. Because when I think Mitchell Trubisky getting ready for the last game of the year in Minnesota this past week, and I look for another makeshift offensive line. One guy, Charles Leno Jr., started and played every game this past season, everybody else had a hiccup throughout the season. I can't have that anymore. If you're going to get the best out of Mitchell Trubisky, don't rely on Mitchell Trubisky to be the best player on the football team. You need to protect him. You need to ha- have an offensive coordinator that understands the importance of the offensive line and, for, and, and how important that is for the offense to overall have success. Jim, what do you want to hear from a potential head coaching candidate? Yeah, all those things are important, but I, I think primarily because you're focusing on Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, you want to know the overall offensive philosophy, but hey, as as Tom said, your experiences in bringing along a young quarterback. So, Pat Shermer, you know, tell me how you brought along uh, a young Teddy Bridgewater or uh, what you've done with, with Case Keenum or for Josh McDaniels. Hey, w- when you uh, were breaking in uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, what was the process? What were the areas of focus uh, that you worked on? What was the progression and how you did it? You know, was it in terms of his, his mechanics, how you uh, introduced or installed the offense, how you you plan on you know, teaching him the progression of reading defenses in blitzes. And I, I think that's really going to be paramount because it, it's going to be a big part of the focus 
of what this is about because we all know it's about the development of a young quarterback and how quickly he develops and how quickly he can impact uh, the team is obviously going to impact how the Bears do uh, on every Sunday because, as we know, quarterback's involved in pretty much every decision because uh, he's touching the ball almost every uh, single snap of, of the game. And how he plays it has a tremendous uh, impact in the outcome of a game. And we also hear you have to command the room. I, every time yeah. I talk to a former player, you want a head coach that commands the room. And, Jim, you played for Belichick and Cower. Tom, you played for Ditka and Shula. What are the traits from a leadership standpoint that you need to see from the head coach, Tom? Respect. I think you got to respect the head coach. You have to realize the message that he's telling you um, is through his experiences in football life that he is just trying to be your teacher. And when you have respect for success, whether it's Belichick or respect for success with Ditka as a former player and a Hall of Fame player, you know, I think that what is it get, grabs your attention and you want to be respected by your head coach because if he respects you and he has the track record of success that he has, you must be doing something right. Yeah, from from my standpoint, not only is it uh, respect, obviously all, all the leadership qualities you're looking for, a guy who can communicate, uh, relay uh, the message, and people are very receptive to, to how the the message is delivered, and a lot of that does deal uh, with respect. But certainly a guy who's uh, going to be disciplined, you've got to be able to uh, control a football team when things are right, when things go bad. You've got to have the right te- uh, temperament from that standpoint as well. Um, but certainly, you know, leadership qualities always, always factor in when you're really the, the leader of the organization. 312-644-6767, the phone number, Wayne in Lafayette, Indiana. You are on Bears All Access. Zach, thanks a lot, and thanks for a great year again, like you always do, my friend. And, and uh, Tom, Jim, great Bears uh, heroes of mine. Always great talking to you guys, man. Just the greatest. Thank you. And we, what you guys know... Um, I uh, hope they to find a way to keep old Vic Fangio around one way or another. But anyway, I was going to ask you, I heard um, Lance Briggs talking the other night with um, Lawrence Holmes, and he said uh, he was in the uh, 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 room when they make draft picks. He would say there's a number one receiver in Alabama named um, um, Ridley, and uh, let's go with that guy. And, he, they, they, and uh, I was wondering what you guys think of that idea. I don't mind uh, Ridley, but certainly, I mean, we're just getting started into the draft process. I'll be down there at the Reese's Senior Bowl uh, here. I believe it'll be uh, January 27th, so I'll be the, there the week of the 22nd all the way leading up to the game. And, and certainly a lot of things from here till the, the, the time the draft comes around, it's, uh, you know, what to say, it's kind of guided discovery. You're trying to get all this information about all these potential draft picks. Certainly Ridley's talent is commanding of it, but there are a lot of other things involved because you want to make sure uh, when you're drafting what, uh, you know, the type of assets that are out there, you want it to be a complete package. Obviously somebody that's not disruptive uh, in, in a locker room, and obviously the, the team concept uh, is involved. So plenty of things that need to be uncovered, uh, and it's too early to, to get to that standpoint and, and breaking down surefire first round uh, draft picks because we know not all of them work out you need to be sure when you select them right I think we have to calm down on this because we still don't know all the underclassmen that are going to apply for the NFL draft free agency comes before the draft so you'll have a better idea then but you don't even know the system of football that the Bears are going to run because you don't know who the head coach is so before we start talking about the draft 
you got to get the head coach well, and find right. out what philosophy you're going to use going forward. You know what, Wayne? I, I like where he's already how far ahead he's thinking. But you know, <laughs> the listen right now. As Bears fans, we have a really good taste in our mouth about Alabama players and directly related to Eddie Jackson because this guy came in and he's played, acted, and responded like a veteran years ahead of some immature rookies that come in here and it takes them a year to find their way in the NFL and that wasn't the case with Eddie Jackson. So months down the road when we start looking at draft personnel, this is a guy that you're going to have to investigate. Make sure he's healthy. Make sure he finishes his college career in in good health because you got to start investigating that position. But I like what I've learned and come to see out Eddie Jackson, so I wouldn't shy away from it. You know, the the Bears picked a bunch of guys from small schools this past draft, and uh, a lot of them went on to have success. Eddie Jackson came from the big-name school, and you'd like take a look at the last couple of years, the, the championship game between Clemson and Alabama, and all the players from those two teams that have gone on to the NFL, and a lot of them have been very successful in the early going. Right. Well, the, that's the reason they're playing in the national championship game repeatedly over this stretch of period with Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and these these guys. But it, we're kind of like getting off the trail of already talking about the draft. But I do think receiver position, if you go to the Chicago Bears fan base, if you look at what position is the most concerning to you going going forward with Mitchell Trubisky, it would be the receiver position. Hey, Ryan Pace said it at his press conference on Monday that it's fair to say it is a position that will be significantly addressed this offseason. has to be in order to give the quarterback the best opportunity to succeed. Zach Zidman, 85 Bear Tom Thayer, former Bears quarterback Jim Miller with you as well. want to remind you that this week an encore presentation of Inside the Bears, Jordan Howard and Kyle Fuller team up with Santa Spice to deliver some local holiday cheer and Craven LeBlanc traces his challenging journey to the NFL gridiron inside the Bears air Saturdays at 6 p.m. on CW 50 Chicago and Sundays at 11.05 p.m. on Fox 32 Chicago. You can also watch show segments online at ChicagoBears.com or on the Chicago Bears official app anytime. So this is Bears All Access brought to you by IGS Energy. Brian Urlacher, the news comes out yesterday, one of the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So let's start with this. Jim, you played with him. And I know you're a little biased, but you've also <laughs> covered the National Football League past your playing career for a very long time. So is Brian Urlacher a first ballot Hall of Famer in a year where Ray Lewis is also eligible? Leave all this nonsense that two linebackers can't get voted in the, the same right. year. I think it's pretty cut and dry. You know, Ray Lewis certainly is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Brian Urlacher is a first ballot. I thought Terrell Owens got screwed last year. How does a second receiver of all time not in the Hall of Fame just because they don't like him as a voter? What is that? So does that mean Randy Moss gets a pass this year? He doesn't deserve to get in? So those four all legitimately uh, should be in, and I'll throw in the offensive lineman Joe Jacoby. But Erlacher, when you got uh, Mike McCarthy coming out saying, hey, if, if that's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, I don't know what is. Mike, Mike McCarthy, you know, game planned against him. That was one of the most dominating defenses, and certainly Tom knows uh, dominating defense, but I think when you got Aaron Rodgers and all these players coming out, because you can just see it. The guy was an impactful player, and it was more areas than one. You know, great plays. How about when we went and played Washington in 2001? Brian catches the touchdown pass from Brad Maynard. Everybody forget that win. The guy was a receiver, too, at, at times in games. So, you know, to me, he transcends the game. He's one of the greatest of, of all time, and there is no reason he should not be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You, you, just, you know it when you see it, and he's it, period. To me, he revolutionized the way you play cover two middle linebacker 
in the National Football League. So, Jim, you saw him early on in his career before the Bears yeah. had switched to that well, Lovey Smith 4-3 defense. Hey, he was all-pro under Dick Durant. People forget that. He was a two-time all-pro under Dick Durant. That's a totally different defense uh, than a Tampa 2. Um, and then, and even a Tampa 2 defense, I say it all the time, it's geared towards funneling the ball carrier to the weak side linebacker, a la Derek Brooks, a la Lance Briggs. Brian was asked to do more, and he did it and excelled in anything they do. But it wasn't geared for the middle linebacker. It's geared for the will. Right, but one of the requirements of that defense is you have to have a, a middle linebacker that can cover a tremendous amount of dish, uh, um, uh, air, square footage on a moment's notice. If they want to play action pass, he's got to be able to get to the center of the field. He's got to be able to support the run with strength. And one of the most pleasant memories of my, mine with, with uh, Brian Urlacher was I remember two times specifically, one time being Mike Vick and one time being Brett Favre, when Urlacher chased yeah. these quarterbacks from behind when they were in the open field and they thought they were in – in pay dirt. And all of a sudden, after they got tackled as violently as they did, both of them, the first thing they did when they popped their feet to look to see who it was. And when they, you see the expression on their face when they realize, man, this is a guy that's 6'5", 235 pounds that just ran me down from behind. Either I'm slow or this guy's incredibly talented. The Monday night football game in Arizona in 2006, the greatest football game I've ever seen in person. And that was a game in which the Bears had zero zero offense zero i'm not even exaggerating on this zero offense down 20 to nothing at halftime they rally and win without an offensive touchdown and in large part that's because edger and james you know they always say you got to run the football control the clock they were trying to do that in arizona and erlacher seemingly was everywhere he was credited with 25 tackles in that game all you need to do watch a tape of that game and he's a first ballot hall of famer jim I totally agree. I mean, it's play after play. Atlanta, scoop and score. He ran, he ran 90 yards, returned it for a touchdown, and he was pulling away from people. I mean, it, receivers couldn't catch him. I mean, he, the guy's made so many plays, and he probably makes them in his sleep, but he's impactful every single game he played in, and I think that's another thing. Durability, what, what was it, 180-some games he lined up in straight? Yeah. I mean, that's incredible uh, what he was able to do. What a tr- rare, rare player. And certainly, like I said, you know it when you see it, and he's it. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. The Bears' defense was the offense during the Lovey Smith era in large part because of Brian Urlacher. Let's go out to the phones. Corey is on the south side. Corey, what is your signature Brian Urlacher moment? Mine would have to be uh NFC Championship game against the Packers. When, again, another game we really didn't have any offense, and Jay Cutler goes down, um, needed a play, and Lo and behold, 54 comes up with the interception and give us some hope. He fell down on the interception, but, I mean, it was just signature Brian Urlacher just to make a play when you need it. I'm I'm loving him, miss watching him play. I think that's the mark of greatness, in my opinion, guys, is the fact that there are times during an NFL game where things aren't going your way. And sometimes you hear it often, someone just go out there and make a play. Well, you know, Corey's a good reflection because we could probably interview 25 different Bears fans about Brian Urlacher, and each of them would have had a different memory, whether you meet him out in just meeting the person, Brian Urlacher, out in the general public or what you saw him on the football field be because he's – been a super gracious professional guy in his personal life and his profession and his professional life, and that's what the Bears want to see is professional life. Jim, we've got thirty seconds, but every player that I've ever spoken with in the locker room that's been a teammate of Brian Urlacher's talks about the teammate that Brian Urlacher is and was. 
Yeah, I mean, he is. I, I don't think there is. There's not one player that played with Brian that dislikes him and everything that he brings to the table. I mean, the guy was just pure football, want, loved to compete, came to work every day, ready to go because he's excited to play football and, and be around his, his teammates. So, you know, I, I don't think you ever will hear one negative word from, from teammates. What a great teammate. I was honored to, to play with him, and it was a pleasure to, to watch his career, and now it'll be a pleasure watching him going into the Hall of Fame because he deserves it. Great stuff. All right, we'll join you again next Wednesday, another live edition of Bears All Access for 85 Bear Tom Theron. Former Bears quarterback Jim Miller, I'm Zach Saban, saying thanks for listening to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.